Chapter 9, Breakthrough Prayer, Live a Surrendered Life in Christ. When I think of the good news of God, I think of the key God has given me to have intimacy with Him forever. The key is only effective in me when I accept the key by choice, and I surrender my choice to the key. Then I am one with the key. I don't become one, but I am one that very instant. It isn't a journey. It doesn't take long. It's closer and quicker than a breath. It's a choice of total surrender of my choices to the key. I don't try. I just do. Trusting that the key has already unlocked whatever I need. The key is Jesus Christ. And surrendered life to Him is mandatory to live life. It isn't about waiting for some big break. It's about receiving His love through Jesus Christ and responding. So instead of me focusing on what or what not to do, I focus on intimacy with Him, what He did for me, and who I am in Him. This will result in a surrendered life to Christ, automatically doing good works. A surrendered life to Christ is walking in the Spirit, and it practically looks like the following. 1. Fasting unto Him. 2. Spending time with Him in prayer. 3. Focusing on Him and His desires, being in His Word and knowing who we are in Him. 4. Having our direction founded in Him, loving, caring, and expanding His kingdom. 5. Trusting in Him. 6. Being grateful in Him. 7. Knowing who He is and not how He will. 1. Fasting unto Him. Christian or no Christian, when our flesh controls us, then Satan controls. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Fasting is one component of a life walking in the spirit. What is fasting? Fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food, and sometimes it goes beyond just food and includes water. Biblical fasting is unto the Lord. It's not abstaining from food to achieve some natural result like losing weight or detoxifying your body. Why fasting? Does fasting move the hand of God? No. If we believe that God withholds blessings from us because of our works, then we don't know what Jesus Christ has already done for us. So why do we fast? To suppress our flesh in order to hear clear what the Spirit is saying. We need to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. When I'm struggling to hear God, I know it's not God who's not speaking with me, but I'm not receiving. My receiver is dirty. Fasting helps me clean my receiver. Jesus had given his disciples authority to go into the towns and heal the sick. His authority wasn't limited to only one mission, as some like to suggest. Neither did he give his disciples the authority every time he sent them out. These disciples obviously had some success as they moved from town to town. However, there was a boy in one of the towns who some would consider as an epileptic. They had tried to cast out the demon, but had failed. I'm sure they tried and tried, but nothing happened. Some probably thought that it was the will of God that the boy stay like this. But the Pharisees used this failure to accuse the disciples and to argue with them. Jesus comes to town, has dialogue with the father's boy who is begging him to heal his son, and then tells him, if you can believe, all is possible to him believing. After some interaction, Jesus casts out the demon and then leaves. Those disciples came to Jesus and questioned him privately, saying, why could we not cast it out? 
Jesus said to them, Through your unbelief, for indeed truly I say to you, if you have faith as a kernel of mustard, you will say to this mountain, Withdraw from here to here, and it will withdraw, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now that kind can go out in nothing except in prayer and fasting. It's not the prayer and fasting that produces the power, because they'd already been given the power and authority just like us. But it is prayer and fasting that produces belief, intimacy with God. This is the pipe through which the power flows. Sometimes it's clogged by our flesh. Prayer and fasting helps clean it. With intimacy comes belief. With belief, we are able to release the power of God. And with the mouth of belief, the power of God is released through us. We know the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Fasting is for the Spirit. It's not for my flesh. But it's designed to suppress my flesh in order for the Spirit to gain or stay in control. I used to ask myself, why didn't the disciples fast when Jesus was with them? Why did they only fast when he left? The disciples did not need to fast because Jesus was their eyes and ears. He told them exactly what, when, how, and where they should go. When Jesus returned to God the Father, his disciples had to fast because they had to make decisions for themselves. This helped them hear what Holy Spirit was telling them to do and kept their flesh under control. In addition to helping us hear the Spirit clearer, fasting also humbles us. David humbled himself by fasting, and David was a man after God's own heart. He who humbles himself will be exalted. God gives grace to the humble and answers their prayer. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Types of Fasts There are three primary types of fasts mentioned in the scripture. 1. Partial Fast Eating only basic food groups and drinking only water. No meat, no wine, and no sweet or savory things. This is used to get a revelation concerning something or to get understanding regarding a vision or to mourn. It's a natural repercussion of the situation, and the focus is far from food, just eating to survive, not caring about the taste of food or spending time making it. The length of the partial fast is dependent upon receiving the required results, or it is a predetermined time established by self before the fast. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. In Daniel's case, he was probably mourning for the future of his people. His fast lasted three full weeks. 2. Normal fast. Not eating anything, only drinking water. Not drinking juices, soups, or having teas. This is the most common biblical fast, and a common practice in the early church in service to the Lord. It's used to bring clarity or establish a vision, spiritual examination for victory in battle, for mourning because of the dead, and hearing God audibly. The length of the normal fast is predetermined by self before the fast. 
the time ranges from one to two days, sometimes one to two days a week to forty days. I have known some to fast the same day every month for twenty-four to forty-eight hours, part of a regular routine. In addition, they also have spontaneous fasts to meet any specific need. This is a good practice, and the early church did something similar. Three absolute fast: neither eating nor drinking anything. It's used in significant life-changing occasions when hearing God's voice for a situation is vital, like Paul's conversion, or when all hope is gone, like the crisis Esther faced. The length of the absolute fast is sometimes predetermined by self, and sometimes it's just an outcome of a situation. Food is the last thing on one's mind when these kinds of things happen. The time ranges didn't really exceed three full days in Scripture, except for Moses when he received the commandments on Mount Sinai. How to fast? Things to consider before the fast. Select the fast. In most cases, it will be the normal fast, and then determine the time frame. Ensure you have regular planned fasts, but also make time for spontaneous fasts. Both are needed. Things to consider during the fast. Reflect on self and repent. Jeremiah faced similar problems with the people in his day. They continued to sin, did not repent, and did not seek to do God's will, but still wanted to fast to get God to hear them. This resulted in them wandering around aimlessly. Then the Lord told Jeremiah, "Do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry, and when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence." Leverage the time saved for preparing and eating food, and use this time for spiritual food. Pray more than normal. Sometimes revelations are revealed during this time, so write them down. After the fast, our flesh kicks in, and many times we forget the details of the revelation. Spend more time studying and meditating on His Word. And loving people. Endure the fast by resting in Him, knowing a war is happening inside you, your spirit versus your flesh. Sometimes when I fast, my flesh moves its focus away from external factors like people, finance, and work, and moves its focus onto itself, the body. The flesh can see it's losing the reins and tries everything in its power to make me eat something. Sometimes I start getting a headache. Some will call it low sugar levels, but I call it flesh. It tries to deceive the soul by highlighting the importance of eating to survive. The flesh provides suggestions like "this is not healthy for me." It then magnifies my smell and taste buds to such an extent that I can smell the food coming from my neighbor's kitchen two houses down. Oh, how wonderful food smells on those days I fast! It's amazing how many people bring cakes to work on those days. I'm then bombarded with temptations. Have one bite. It's only a bite. Come on, it's not that bad. I can fast an extra few hours later to compensate. I used to become so preoccupied in how can I twist the fast to get my way that I would lose focus on God, but now I use the thought of food as a trigger to pray for someone in need or to thank God. When fasting more than a day, my flesh generally switches its focus from food to my emotions. I get emotional highs and lows. Just after this, breakthrough seems to happen, resulting in an immense amount of inner peace, joy, and love. Prayer is sweet and flows effortlessly. Here are some don'ts during a fast: don't brag, nor debate, 
nor strife, nor point fingers at others, nor think we are better than anyone else, nor speak unclean words, nor attract attention to ourself. It is time to reflect on self and to help others. I have also heard some use fasting to brag about how long they didn't eat and forget they have just received their reward, recognition from others and not from God. Jesus said, When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't have intercourse during fasting. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Don't keep focusing on the time, like when is it going to be done. Just keep focusing on God. Things to Consider Just After the Fast Sometimes, as I step out of a fast, there seems to be a war going on trying to rob me of the peace and joy I'm in. Sometimes it comes disguised through those close to us, saying things to us that push our buttons. Be prepared, and remember, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So respond or choose not to respond. Just be prepared. 2. Spending Time With Him In Prayer Nowadays, everything is done in a hurry. We have fast foods and fast service. However, God requires quantity and quality time in His presence. The person who believes in the power of prayer will deny self the rest it demands in order to pray. The person who has waited upon God commands demons to depart, and they depart. He commands the lame to walk, and they walk. And the person who hasn't the time to pray gets the same results every time, and then wonders why their prayers weren't answered, or even worse, blame God. Over the years, I've met many people who have blamed God for not helping them. Some of them have chosen a specific direction, thinking it was God's will for them, but they never consulted Him. Some did, but they never waited for His response. They pushed their ideas on Him without giving Him a chance to respond, and yet blame Him for the unexpected outcome. Where was God? Why did He do this to me? Why didn't He tell me? He did tell you, but you weren't listening because you weren't spending time with Him. Waiting upon God is not wasting time, but the most productive time we can spend. All the great people of God spend hours of alone time, isolated with God in prayer. We may know all God's laws and principles, and we may even implement some of them. But at the end of the day, we will be in a pit if we don't spend regular time with Him in prayer. Now many know this, I know this, but there are times when I wrestle in prayer, when my mind wanders and my focus on God is broken. Sometimes the hardest time for me is the first minute in prayer, then the first ten minutes. After this, it is easy. It's as if my flesh literally wants to tear itself away from my time with God, saying, Okay, there isn't anything more to say. I'm done. But if I stay, my flesh starts to feed me with thought-provoking things to get me to go. Things I had totally forgotten about come into my mind when I start to pray. Like, Hey, that's where I left that thing. Let me check. Or, Check emails. There may be an urgent message for me. Or, Have I locked the front door? Or, Let me get a glass of water or juice before I pray. Or I need my rest, I worked late last night, or just five more minutes. 
But I get up, 20 minutes later, only to rush through prayer. You know what I mean. How do I overcome this? There is a war going on inside me, so I need to recognize there is a conflict between my flesh and spirit and choose to side with my spirit. Prayer is throughout the day, but for those times, like early morning, a conscious decision needs to be made to stay in prayer, alone with God. In these cases, I personally like setting a minimum time, just like fasting. Notice just the minimum, because the time may end up being more. And I know some may say it's legalistic. They're probably the same folks who don't spend time with Him. I find it effective because my flesh needs expectations. If it thinks prayer is open-ended, it will jump around giving me reasons why I need to go. But it knows if I have chosen to be there for some time, say 10, 30, 60 minutes, it doesn't interfere as much. Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The first few minutes of praying are the toughest because my flesh gets in the way. I recite a list of needs and wants. This is when I tell God everything that is on my mind and ask Him to intervene. Then I have nothing to say. So instead of talking for the sake of talking, I just shut up. I found that the longer I stay in the silence, true prayer begins. My flesh again tries to drive me from His presence, telling me I'm wasting my time. This is a trigger for me to thank Him, being grateful to Him and loving upon Him. The atmosphere in the room starts to change. I get a little scared. My flesh starts to die of its needs, and I don't particularly care about my needs anymore. They seem so insignificant now, and I'm just enjoying Him. I don't really want to talk. Then impressions come into my heart, and after some time, a two-way conversation happens. My words are few. I forget about time, and my inner ear seems to be open. There is an indescribable change that takes place within me when I spend alone time with God. Moses' face shone when he spent time with God, and I'm sure we do too in the spiritual world. In prayer, barriers are broken down, and the once dirty lamp is clear so the light within can shine through. A lamp that is stained or dirty cannot emit light and cannot be used. It's not like I physically feel any different after prayer, but I do see the difference in the choices I make the uncommon peace inside me, and the speedy manifestation of elements prayed for. 3. Focusing on Him and His Desires When I arrived in Canada, we had a house, newly laid grass, but after one year, it was like a minefield of weeds. My neighbors on either side had perfect lawns. It was as if all the weeds in the street were piled up on my ground, and then the new lawn was laid on top of it. Within a year, literally 70% plus of my ground were weeds. So guess what I did? I spent days, weeks pulling out the weeds, and as fast as I pulled them out, the more they grew. I also damaged the new grass in the process. I couldn't get rid of them, so I invested in liquid weed killers. All the weeds were dying, less prominent. But the next season, they were back in full fury. I hired professional lawn people. They too didn't solve it, but controlled it. I still had about 70% weeds. The next season, the weeds were back. There was nothing else I could think of doing, so I laid hands on the weeds and cursed them. The Lord spoke inside me, What are you doing? I'm trying to get rid of the weeds. Why? So I can have grass. The Lord instantly spoke in my heart, 
Your focus has been all wrong. Why are you focusing on the weeds when you want the grass? Focus on the grass. Wow. That was an amazing revelation. So that's what I did. I focused on the grass, planting grass seeds, fertilizing the area, cutting the grass, and only pulling a few weeds out. Within the year, I had 5% weeds. And at the start of the following season, 1% weeds. I learned a valuable lesson. The grass kills the weeds, not me. Similarly, by focusing on Christ automatically crowds out the sin. Therefore, focus on Jesus Christ and His desires by getting to know Him and His Word and obeying Him. By doing this, we die to self-promotion and walk as Christ would want us to walk and leverage our covenant right as children of God. To do what? To love God, love Christians, love self, and love others to God in that order. Not just in thoughts and words, but also in actions. There is no time for sin when our focus is on Him and His desires. 4. Having our direction founded in Him What are you doing in the kingdom of God? Your kingdom job? Do you know what your unique assignment is? If I told you how to discover yours, would you want to know? Firstly, it's not necessary that your kingdom assignment is the same as a career choice. For example, Paul was a tent maker, and yet he did the kingdom assignment. Kingdom assignment is a lifestyle of always looking for opportunities to help further and care for God's kingdom through Jesus Christ, thus leveraging your time, abilities, and resources to do this daily. If you're struggling or want to confirm your assignment in the kingdom of God, 1. Answer the following questions. 2. Summarize the answers into one comprehensive sentence. Ensure you're covering the answers in some way. 3. Make some goals based on it. And 4. Just start doing it. It's that simple. And excuses like, I can't, because of financial and or time reasons, are not true. It's about making it a priority above something else and just starting. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses and David just made God a priority and just started with what they had, trusting in God. I don't have to solve world hunger, but I can make a few meals and serve a few families in need, letting them know that it is Christ's love for them that enables me to serve them. The Lord will direct my steps. Here are the questions to answer. Don't move on until you've answered each question comprehensively. It may take you some time to ponder on and pray about it. 1. If I had to die now, what would I want God to say about my work for Him? 2. What can I do to solve what I perceive as people's greatest need? Or what is it that you truly hate? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 3. What is the biggest problem I faced or am facing and what specifically can I do for others who have similar problems? For example, if it's difficult for me to find employment, can I give someone employment? 4. If I had a choice to do anything I wanted every day, assuming my financial needs were taken care of and it wasn't breaking any of God's laws of love and it was glorifying Jesus Christ, what would it be? 5. What can I do to show my love for Christians? As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. But some will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. 5. Trusting in Him What's the best gift you can give someone you love? Total trust and respect for them. Look at a marriage. If there's no trust, then it's a matter of time before the marriage falls apart. The couple may love each other and lust after each other, but if they don't trust one another, then destruction is a moment away. So I gave my Heavenly Father my heart when I accepted Jesus, His Son, as my Lord. But I make a conscious effort to trust Him, trust His Word. Experience sometimes wants to move me against God's Word, and that is the time I need to remind myself to hold on to it. Instead of me discounting His Word, I discount my understanding. And if I fall here, He remains faithful because He can't deny Himself. His character and authority is in His name. Those who know His character and His authority deep inside act based on His name. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Trusting in Christ's righteousness, not mine, means I can relax, and His love and power and influence, not mine. So instead of focusing on my failures, like I should have done this or that, I just do the very best He can through me. Note, I don't say the very best I can, because my very best is nothing and limiting. But when relying on Him, He takes me beyond myself. Can He trust me? Can God trust me with His power? Can He trust me with the resources, money, and time He has given me? Can He trust me with His message of reconciliation to those who put their trust in His Son, Jesus Christ? Can He trust me with the words that come out of my mouth? Can He trust me with what I allow into my eyes and ears? It makes no difference if I've been a Christian for a hundred years or one year. Can He trust me? Guess what? He does because of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't have revealed His Son to me if He didn't trust me. All I did was accept His plan, His Son as my Lord. Now this doesn't give me a license to sin, God forbid, but to live life in freedom of conviction and freedom to love. With God's love also comes God's discipline on those who continually rebel against His Word. He generally rebukes me first, and I feel bad inside. Sometimes He reminds me by highlighting something I read in His Word. If I still don't repent, this opens the door to the devil. He doesn't open the door. It's my rebellion that does. Then he sends someone across my path to tell me or chastise me. Most cases, I already knew what it was, but was trying to avoid it. God tells me because he loves me and wants the best for me. If I still don't repent, he gives me time to reflect on why things aren't going as smoothly as I hope for. 
If I still don't repent because of my rebellion, lack of submitting to him, then let's just say it's dangerous territory, and even worse if it comes against God's authorities or against other believers. I need to fear God and repent immediately. He values me. Some people use alcohol or drugs to make them forget or just make themselves happy. Before I came to the Lord, I used to get drunk and even after giving my life to the Lord. But it grew less and less until eventually stopped altogether. Why did I drink? To ignore internal pains of being rejected, not feeling valued. The alcohol was a mask to help me forget and be happy. It came with a price, and it still didn't solve the problem. My solution came when I realized my value came from the Lord and what He said about me, not what I or someone says about me. I tell my son when he brings me a picture he drew, Good job, it looks good, you're getting better. I like this and that. Just watch for this small thing, but it's really very good. Honestly, the picture isn't that good from a worldly perspective, but from my perspective, it is. I see passion, I see time and effort, I see thinking, I see composition, and I see creating something new. Yes, I also see the lines, colors, or lack thereof. The composition doesn't quite fit, but in the big scheme of things, it's negligible. Why? Because the very best part is, he brings it to me because he values me, loves me, and wants my approval. To give him value. I'm here to tell you, you have God's approval, so keep bringing him things. If my son took his picture to the neighbor and sought their approval, that would make me very unhappy. So why do we seek approval from the world or others when we already have the ultimate approval from God, Christ in you? 6. Being grateful in him. God said, These people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Some people are good at honoring God with their lips and singing many beautiful songs, but their hearts are far from Him. Worshiping God is not a method. It does not require following rules, playing certain notes on the instrument, or singing certain songs or hymns. It does not require reducing the pace of the music, as many love to do. Worshiping God has to do with having our heart set on Him, loving Him, and obeying Him. Throughout history, kings demanded dancing, praise and laughter all around them. A happy king is a good king. Court jesters were ordered to make the king laugh. Dancing and music were done regularly to create an environment of joy around the king. When people came to visit the king, they had to adhere to royal protocol. They weren't permitted to make requests or come into the king's presence until the king permitted them. If the king felt like seeing them, then he did. What swayed the king's decision was the environment. So if the people made him feel good, then he permitted them to enter. To make the king feel good, they always brought great gifts. And as they entered the court, they praised the king for what he had done for them. If the king was moved by their words and gifts, then he permitted them to enter his presence. When they came before him, they worshipped him by telling him how great he is. Great king, powerful king, you are so wise. Generally, the king would then say, What do you want? Is there anything I can do for you? God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Now, if the king had children, they wouldn't need to follow this protocol. They already had direct access to him, but they still needed to show him the necessary respect, honor by keeping his word. Christians are God's children and have direct access to him. However, we are required to be thankful called thankfulness. 
praise Him for what He has done, called praise, and honor Him for who He is by obeying Him, called worship. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you do this? Are you grateful? Really? Ask a parent who watches their first childbirth what they think. Wow, awesome, amazing, life from nothing, there must be a God. Even though some don't respond like this, generally there is a sense of awe. Now, ask those who were in awe to describe seeing their 100th birth. Ah, it's nice. The once admired wonder that God has put in place is brushed over with little thought. I remember seeing snow for the very first time. It was amazing. I didn't care if it was cold. I just wanted to play in it and throw snowballs. Now, after years of snow, the once admired beauty is hardly even recognized. How hard and ungrateful I became. Am I a spoiled child? As I journey through life, is anything really good enough or am I continually driving downwards for more and more? Instead of saying, thank you, why do I find things to complain about? Is my thank you replaced with, it's about time, it took you long enough? Do I focus more on the obstacles than what I have? Yes, I had become very ungrateful. Was I like a child of darkness because Satan had been complaining and accusing for thousands of years? No, but I'm sure demons had fueled my ungratefulness. But I must take full responsibility. It was my choice. James said that it is impossible for sweet praise and worship, and bitter, ungratefulness, water to come from the same fountain. God enjoys a grateful and happy environment, not an environment of bitterness and ungratefulness. Scripture is full of this. This is the reason why many never experience His presence. Think about yourself. Do you want to be around someone who is continually bitter and ungrateful? I don't. I didn't even like myself when I was like that. How to Nurture Gratefulness it is quite simple. By consciously making a point to speak to yourself and others in psalms of David and hymns of praise and spiritual songs of tongues while continually singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving Him thanks always for all things and caring for other Christians in the fear of God. In addition, make a point to look for good and thank God for that good. Look at the beauty that no one else sees. Yes, there will be many negative events and situations that exist throughout the day. So instead of dwelling on the negative, point out the positive. Not so long ago, when it snowed for the umpteenth time that season, I needed to clear my driveway. It was just before church, so I needed to be quick. I was tired from the night before, and the snowfall was unexpectedly large. As I started the snowblower, I recall saying under my breath, I'm tired of this snow. Then, as I went out, just as I started, the wind picked up and blew the snow into my face and down my neck. If that wasn't bad enough, it blew into my neighbor's freshly shoveled driveway. Ah, uh, no. I just started, and now I have to use the shovel. And the very reason I had purchased the snowblower was for days like this. If I didn't love my neighbor like myself, then I probably would have used it and let him figure out how to empty his driveway. As I shoveled, my back and shoulders became sore, and I became slower, which meant I wouldn't just be late, but very late. I kicked the snow and didn't realize that there was ice buildup and stubbed my toe. I threw the shovel. Then I heard a voice from within. What good do you see from this? Are you grateful for anything? I sarcastically said, For my snowblower that isn't being used because the wind blows it into my neighbor's driveway. As I started thinking of the benefits, I forced myself to start. Thank you for, 
for giving me exercise even when I don't want to. I've been sitting more than moving lately. Thank you for fresh water that is being given through the snow. Thank you for the wind that drives the pollution away. Thank you. I am able to shovel. Thank you for my shovel. Thank you for a car filled with gas to get us to church. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that I'm able to experience true life now. Thank you for never leaving me or forsaking me. Thank you for loving me. During the shoveling, I received a sermon on gratefulness, and the remaining shoveling experience was awesome. Yes, I was late to church, but I was thankful we were able to go and weren't persecuted for going. Now, there are some serious situations where we are to mourn and cry when we need to cry, but even in this, we can always find something to be grateful for. So, sacrifice thanksgiving unto God. The word sacrifice means it is a voluntary action against the natural norm. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God never said, when everything goes well, praise me. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Note, In every situation, give thanks. Not thank God for the situation, but in the situation. Should I give thanks for sickness? No. Give thanks for who He is in the midst of sickness. He is the healer. Give thanks in the midst of poverty, for He is the provider. Give thanks in the midst of persecution, because He is glorified. We've all heard of James 1, 2-3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. This was in reference to being persecuted for Christ and testing our faith. What carries us through is taking on joy. Joy in what? Joy in Him. If we were beaten, locked up in jail cells, and fastened to a stock, would we praise God? Paul and Silas did. And guess what happened? Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And remember Jonah? Jonah was only released from the fish's belly after he repented and praised God. If I was in the belly of a big fish, would I have sacrificed praise to God or panic before him? I would only hope I could trust in the Holy Spirit to enable me to praise. Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, by giving thanks to His name. What does praise look like? My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. I will tell others about the victories God has given me and brag about Him. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in His doing toward the Son of Men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. It is easy to praise God in front of Christians, but I need to praise God in front of the heathen too. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. My praises must be spontaneous, and I mustn't be embarrassed because of who is around me. Feeling embarrassed is motivated by my pride, and pride is sin. I must praise like a child who says what they feel regardless of who is around them. Jesus said, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. I will live in a grateful attitude like the psalmist who consciously made time to praise God seven times a day. And the level at which I offer praise to God should be higher than anything I offer to people, sports teams, 
or institutions. Praising produces results. Throughout Scripture, there are many cases where victory came after they praised God. Don't we do the same to someone in the world who gives us a gift? Before we even know what it is, or even before we have used it, we are grateful and thank them for it. And when someone really praises us for the things we do for them, don't we want to do even more for them? Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God. He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. Based on the praise they are giving Him, His word runs very swiftly for them. Let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness, and your praise all the day long. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Therefore, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 7. Knowing who He is and not how He will But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's not about looking or trying to figure out how God is going to do it. It has everything to do with who He is and what He can do. I'm sure there was no logical way Gideon could figure out how God was going to use 300 men to beat so many Midianites. Gideon focused on the who who God is, and not on how God was going to do it. All Gideon needed was to make sure it was God's will. Once he knew, then the worldly odds and the how was immaterial. So don't focus on how it will happen, but focus on who God is and the covenant you have in Christ. I remember when the bank and mortgage brokers told me that I couldn't buy a house for so many legitimate reasons. They were right from a natural perspective, and logically there was no how to get there. I didn't have the funds. All I knew was who I trusted in. If my Heavenly Father brought me to Canada, He would provide me a house. I could have given up and said, Well, I've tried. But I just smiled at them and said to God, Thank you, Father, for my house. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my house. I kept singing this until the feeling of doubt and fear disappeared. There were times when I felt so negative because of the attacks internally and externally that I had to strengthen myself with His Word. I recall that these were the verses that he used to strengthen me. Psalm 23, 37, 5, 86, 145, 10 through 21, Luke 10, 19. Then, instead of my prayer being about asking for the house or about the funds, it was more about assuming I have it and the next steps of finding a church, etc. He already heard me the first time, so why continue asking for the same thing a hundred times? Unlike the women or the men who weren't in covenant with God, who kept on asking until they received, I am in a better covenant in Christ. I am family. I am His child. I don't need to beg. So instead of looking at the how it will come about, I look to the end. Do His best in me, but leave the how with Him. I started speaking to God as though everything was approved, and then I erupted with an immense amount of gratitude and thanksgiving. Had I physically received the house? No. Were there lots of obstacles? Yes. Did I see a logical avenue? No. 
All I saw was who my Heavenly Father is. It was only a question of time for the avenue to come into sight. Then thoughts and people said things like, What happens if you don't get it? You will look like a fool. It is impossible. You are living in a dream world. Aren't you trying to manipulate God? I had to cast them out by saying, You don't even know my Heavenly Father, so don't speak as if you do. Anyone can doubt. It doesn't take faith to believe what you have or what you can see come about. Only when there is no possible avenue to imagine, then and only then is faith needed. I choose to believe Him. And if I don't get it, I still choose to believe Him. I didn't receive the house that month. But this didn't stop me from thanking God for it. The demons and people kept on trying to suppress this hope. I kept quiet as much as possible and praised God for it. I'm sure the demons started looking at each other. Is this guy crazy? The more negative things we bring up against him, the more he praises God. It doesn't look like we're doing our job. The more he praises God, the more God intervenes. We are on dangerous ground, so we better move on to someone else who doubts. This guy doesn't give up and doubt. I received my house six months later. And many marveled. And the naysayers tried to provide worldly reasoning, where at the beginning they had no answers. What I learned was patience. And my time is not always God's time, but it will come. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. I understand that not everyone needs to get a house, but I do believe that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of His children, and that He teaches us in the way to prosper and get wealth. Why? To hoard? Certainly not, but to be a blessing to others in not only spiritual things, but also material things. I believe Jesus' words, ask and it will be given to you, when it is based on, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I don't have to second guess it. When God told Joshua to conquer Jericho, Joshua didn't say, Lord, the walls of Jericho are too high, and we don't have the equipment or the expertise to enter it. Even though Joshua didn't know how, he heeded to the promise of God and moved and spoke that way. Joshua and his people walked around Jericho 13 times, implementing what God had told them to do. And as Joshua walked around Jericho, he kept his eyes on God, looking to him as the source, not how he will. He did not give up, and he did not give in. But he and his people persisted in faith, expecting something to happen. At the right time, they released their faith with the words of their mouth, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Time restricts me from elaborating on all the testimonies where the Lord healed me, my wife, my children, and some of my friends from various diseases and sicknesses, and still does. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. It is His faith residing in us. Therefore, we have the faith of God. Truly, all the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. In conclusion, now you have what most people don't the knowledge and understanding to influence your future. It is not your past, or your education, or race, or area of influence, or access to resources that impacts your future. It is the decision you make in the present that impacts your future. 
If you are a Christian, start accepting the fact that you are victorious in Jesus Christ. Know that God Almighty is your Heavenly Father, and know that Holy Spirit is with you always. He is bigger than anyone you know, and He will help you do His will. Victory is yours, so love those who are lost to Jesus Christ. Have fun, relax, and enjoy your new life in Him. I pray that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. For in Him, Jesus, we live and move and have our being.